everybody, and welcome to the Getting Close. Excuse me. Welcome back to the Getting Close with Mike Marbach podcast. It's been a little while since the last one was put out, and I'm going to be real honest with you right now. Uh, this interview has been done for quite a while, and not only that, I have two interviews that have been done for a lot longer. I've just not taken the time to edit them and get them posted. There's an interview with Scott Adsit of 30 Rock. Hornberger, Pete Hornberger, that I've yet to put out, as well as an interview with improv legend Susan Messing that I have yet to put out. Uh, but hopefully I'll get my shit together and get those done within the next couple weeks. Um, I had a Dog Mountain show, which uh, went pretty well. That was in uh, the earlier part of the month. Um, I taught my cat, Aria, friend of the podcast, Aria, taught her how to sit Shake hands, lay down, and roll over. That's right. I taught my cat how to do those things, and it's pretty great. Uh, what else has been taking up my time? Work. You know how that goes, right? Am I right? Am I right, babe? There it is. The terrible Dennis Miller impression. I watched a lot of The West Wing, finished that series. Very, very good show. Started watching Carnival which is not at all what I thought it was going to be. I didn't expect all this uh, sort of supernatural um, goings-on within that show. It's really good. I highly suggest you watch it. As well as uh, the Netflix original series, Orange is the New Black. Very, very good show. Check it out. Uh, That's some of what I've done with my time uh, instead of doing this podcast, apparently. Uh, Let's see. What's happening coming up? The Fringe Festival starts this week, and FIT, Philly Improv Theater, has a whole lot of stuff going on for that. A couple of things I'm looking forward to in particular are the debut of the new FIT sketch team, Goat Rodeo. They're doing their show, Cart Before the Horse. Uh, The writing team and the cast is packed with talent, and it's no doubt going to be an amazing show. I'm looking forward to the return of the Cambridge Footlights. They are from Cambridge, England, if that's how you say it. Or is it, yeah, I guess Cambridge is an area, or is it Cambridge an area of London? I don't know, and I'm not going to look it up. But they're from the United Kingdom, somewhere over there. And they are really, really good. And the thing I really liked about their show last year was how minimal it was. They had a pretty extravagant but easy backdrop for their show, but as far as props goes... There was next to nothing. It was mostly all story and sketch. It was very just uh, very good. I highly suggest you check that out. Um, What else? Uh, Oh, I'm really looking forward to... What is the name? Uh, Alley of Nightmares. So forward... So looking... So looking forward to Alley of Nightmares, which is uh, kind of a horror comedy sketch show. So that should be really fun. Uh, Yeah, so there's lots of really great shows... Uh, that are happening, none that I'm looking more forward to than my own show, Asteroid Presents Study Hall. Uh, This is taking off of um, our science festival, our Philadelphia Science Festival shows that we've done the last two years with Professor Michael Udell. And uh, he will be doing different lectures, and we will, we, uh, the team that I direct, Asteroid, will be doing improv scenes based off of those lectures. Uh, So he will talk about some serious and not-so-serious things, and we will completely 
trash them. Uh, it's always really fun. Uh, that is September 19th through 22nd, I think. Uh, so make sure you look at that. For all of the fit fringe dates, go to phillyimprovtheater.com, and you can also buy tickets. Buy tickets in advance because a lot of these shows are very going to be very popular. You don't want to get shut out, so uh, buy tickets in advance. Oh, and it's uh, Asteroids first from last run. Uh, it's a weird way to say that, but, but, but in, in short, Asteroid is ending. Uh, the team that I've directed for over three years now is uh, we're going to be ending our run. Uh, we've had a couple people move off. Uh, Luke and Bert have moved uh, to New York and Las Vegas, respectively. And uh, we, after talking, we just we just think that now is the time to bring the show, bring the team to a close. Uh, and we will be doing that with uh, starting with Study Hall, September 19th through 22nd, and also bringing back our popular fall run of the improvised B-movie, which is a, uh, uh, an homage, if you will, to the 1950s, 60s, 70s horror sci-fi films, uh, which uh, last year went really well, and I'd expect the same this year. So uh, dates to be announced, and likely on MikeMarbach.com as well. Uh, this podcast that you're about to listen to was the first live one we've ever done, uh, we, I've ever done, and it's, uh, was recorded for the Philly Podcast Festival, the first Philly Podcast Festival, uh, live at the, uh, Philomoka, um, and it was a lot of fun, it was, Uh, oh, uh, November 8th, November 8th at Philomoka, one of my... Favorite things of the year. I'm already going to call it that, even though we're just a, you know, a little over halfway through the year. Um, this will be one of my favorite things that happens this year, and it's going to happen at Philomoka November 8th, and that is when Greg Sestero, who played Mark in a movie called The Room, uh, is coming to town. He is going to be signing copies of his book called The Disaster Artist, And if you haven't seen The Room, I highly suggest that you do this, because it is, without a doubt, the best, worst movie ever. I've seen it at least two dozen times, and that's not an exaggeration. I've seen it at least two dozen times. It's probably closer to three dozen at this point. Um, I introduce people to the movie all the time. If you want to come over and watch it, just shoot me an email, and I will make that happen. Uh, It is ridiculously bad. The acting, the writing, the directing, the cinematography, um, oh, it's ridiculously bad. And this guy, who is part of this film, wrote a book about it, Greg Sestero, and he's going to be coming to the Philomoka November 8th to sign copies of the book and also do a live reading of the script of The Room as well. Um, and I hope to get a, uh, I hope to get an interview with him. That would be fantastic, getting close with Greg Sestero. Johnny's best friend from the room. Uh, But back to this podcast, The Matter at Hand, in which I get close with Michael F.N. Rainey. Comedian, author, all-around good guy, Michael F.N. Rainey. Uh, Really, really fun chat, and probably the fastest one, uh, the shortest that uh, I've done as far as the Getting Close interviews go. Definitely one of the 
if not the shortest. Uh, and that was because we were under a time constraint. It was part of a podcast festival, and there was some confusion as to who was going first. And I volunteered to uh, uh, go first and just cut the the interview a little shorter. And it's only about a half hour long, uh, but it's a real fun chat. You get to know a good amount about Mike and um, some stuff that he's passionate about, uh, stuff that he you know thinks about comedy that he likes, and a uh, bunch of just tangents thrown in there. For bad measure. Uh, so, yeah, without any more jibber-jabber, listen as I get close with Mike Rainey. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Getting Close podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Marbach. It is Getting Close with Mike Marbach. Uh, and today, we are live at the first annual, I'm guessing it's going to be annual, hoping it's going to be annual, Philly Podcast Festival. Uh, and I got hot peas. What do they call that? Microphone, peas? microphone talk. I don't know. Plosives. So I got to watch the peas when I talk. Uh, my guest today is Philly comedian, author, and all-around good guy, Mike Rainey. Michael effing Rainey. Thank you, Michael. Thank what you is the effing about? Where does that come from? Um, when I was a teenager, a friend of mine had a – I was a very shy, introverted kid. And a friend of mine, as a joke, had a hat made up that said, Michael fucking Rainey. Okay. And, of course, that did wonders for my self-esteem. And uh, I just wore it at parties just to kind of fit in, I guess. Do you still have the hat? No. No, I don't know what I do. It seems like the kind of thing you'd hang on to. But, yeah. yeah. Anything with that on there, yeah. with that sort of sentimental attachment, you got to hang on to. Uh, well, the way these usually work is they go on for a very long time. Uh, but this one is under a uh, time constraint because there are other people in the world uh, other than myself. Uh, so I want to kind of blow through some things, uh, the first being uh, how you got into comedy. What was life kind of growing up? Were you a funny kid? Um, first of all, I just want to say I'm happy to be inside here now because the area outside here is utterly terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Including the facade itself. When I pulled up out front, like, I pictured Reginald Vell Johnson screeching up in his limo, then jumping out and ripping off the friggin' the trunk ornament and throwing it at a would-be crook. That's, that is Carl Winslow, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I like him. I miss him. Of TV's Family Matters. Uh, Yeah, so what was life, uh, were you a funny kid? No. No, I was very weird, um, anxiety-ridden. I would just, I was constantly clingy to my mother. And it was just a, just a very weird, weird family. And uh, for some reason, I just thought of this the other day because I was talking with a friend about how weird my parents were. My dad used to do this awesome thing where as my mother would be cleaning dishes, my dad would walk up behind her and just literally just dry hump her as hard as possible while we were just sitting there eating our dessert. <laughs> you know, dad shit. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, where do you get the 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 funny from? Is, is that a funny thing that Dad would do? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was a real ham. Yeah. But um, no, yeah, it just I think it kind of stemmed from just like being weird and like having to be my own friend and like I would. It, it really was a recipe for mental illness. But luckily, I've been able to kind of segued into comedy career but I would just I didn't have many friends and I would just literally just sit in my room and just concoct all these like I don't know kind of social situations in my head but it would just be a one man party 
Okay. And I, I had access to pretty much any movie I wanted to see. Like the one one thing that I really I was really appreciative of my parents doing was they um, we had memberships to Errol's Video and West Coast Earl's, Video, yeah. <laughs> and they just let me get whatever I wanted. And it was horrible parenting, but it was awesome being a kid and being able to do that. I haven't heard Errol's Video. Just it's said by human mouth, uh, <laughs> or any any mouth for that matter. Uh, in a very long time, and it just kind of made me smile to even hear it. And I West really, Coast video, too. Yeah. Um, I used to, the one thing I loved about Errol's was, uh, I don't know if all Errol's had this, but my Errol's had this bin in the middle of the store where the new releases would come, and you'd wait for the guy to, like, gather them all up, and he would just dump them back into the bin, and then it would be like a mad rush <laughs> to see if he put fucking Predator in there. When did you do your first set? Um, it was... About 11 years ago, um, I decided I wanted to do comedy, and I went th- at the time, the Laugh House was really the only show in town, and they had a Wednesday night open mic, and I went down just to check it out, just to, you know, see what everybody was working with, and some people were just really terrible, and that was kind of inspiring, and it was also inspiring to see guys that really had their shit together, really knew what they were doing, and I think I went back either the next week or a couple weeks later, and it was kind of disheartening, because, um... The guy that was hosting the show was the legendary Wid. If you guys saw him, just a really awesome guy. He's a Philly comedy legend. And he kept saying, like, yeah, you're next, you're next, you're next. And he kept telling me that over and over again. They'll finally announce the last comedian of the night, and it wasn't my name. Just like, crap. So then as people were leaving, I just went up to the Wid and said, look, while the sound system's still on, can I just get this out of my system? And he's like, yeah, go ahead, do whatever you want. So I went up, and I did, I did like, maybe three minutes worth of jokes and I got a couple laughs and it was enough to keep me you know coming back and it was just feeling like, like no other and I've um, tried every drug out there and I love drugs and I love drinking but you know getting laughs nothing compares to it yeah uh, do you remember uh, any of those jokes yeah they were pretty bad um, the one in particular I remember was about it was right after uh, New Year's and I had a very just just awful, like over the top, trying to be uh, offensive persona. And I was just like, Yeah, 12 o'clock came. I was outside banging pots and pears. My girl was inside banging her ex boyfriend. <laughs> and somebody actually laughed at that. I was just like, Wow, this is great. <laughs> and it was just. I made years, that happen. Yeah. It's just years upon years of obnoxious shit like that until started to craft things and actually started to write actual jokes. Okay. Uh, what is your. Your process for doing that? Do you have a process? Um, I know you, you're really big on Twitter. Yeah, I, I love to like wake up early in the morning and just whatever comes to mind, just crank out as much as possible. Yeah, I see that you're. It's almost like 24 hours a day, so I don't know because your, your tweets will come. Like I don't know if you schedule them to go at three in the morning. No, I, I mean I I don't do a very good job at work, and I'm not a very good father. So <laughs> <laughs> you'd be amazed how 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 great your tweeting prowess becomes when you kind of shirk those responsibilities. Did you ever get any, like, any beefs? Any, like, Twitter beefs? Did yeah. Did you say beefs? Is that a thing? Yeah, I'm a real big pussy, so it happens a lot. Um, a, lot of, a lot of times, like, I had this one, like, this was totally uncalled for. I got really drunk one night, and this was probably about a decade ago. This was right when I started to r- realize how email worked, so I was going bananas <laughs> with my email beefs. And uh, I, just, I just was out of control one night. I, I was just drinking this stuff called barley wine like uh yeah it was just it was like we got turn- some fans of barley wine in the crowd 
Looking back, like, it literally turned me into a fucking werewolf that night. <laughs> and I just started, like, eight beefs in one night over nothing. Like, howling werewolf or, like, teen wolf werewolf? Yeah, just fucking ripped jeans, ripped flannel. Okay. The whole shebang. So you weren't playing basketball that night? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Give me a keg of beer. There it is. You do a show with me sometimes called the Not For Nothing Podcast. Yeah, and I uh, love doing that. Yeah, I, I, love, I love seeing it. Most of what I book is things that I personally enjoy. Uh, I don't really expose myself to new things. Uh, it's an issue I'm dealing with. I picture Mike in about 20 years paying people to come piss on him. <laughs> 20 years. Uh, <laughs> terrible. Uh, there was a Can guy you, in my neighborhood that used to do that. Did you have one of those? Paid piss on people or pay to have it done? He would, he would pay high school kids. Like, unfortunately, I found out about it after I graduated because it would have been great, you know, because, you know, you're not working in high school. You, you know, you want to go out Friday night. All you got to do is, you know, pound the Gatorade and you're ready to go. <laughs> but he would, he would pay kids, these high school kids, 20 bucks to just come into his apartment and piss on them. He would lay in the bathtub and the kids would just come through. It's kind of gross. Yeah. And, and, and several shades of illegal, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Something about that. Well, no, they were unionized. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well. So, I mean, they had representation. As long as they're not non-union pissers. Yeah. I was All a right. shop steward. <laughs> uh, you do the Not For Nothing podcast. Uh, can you describe what exactly that is and how it yeah, just describe what it, what it is for me. Um, Not that I don't know. Basically, but. it's kind of a mashup of uh, – I'm from Delaware County, and my friend and partner, uh, comedian Tim Butterly, he's from northeast Philly. And we basically feel like the animals from Delco and northeast Philly are one and the same. And they have no idea what animals they are. And uh, fortunately, in Delaware County, we have the Delaware County Daily Times, which is just the biggest it, – it's as though, like – like, White Trash was able to fill out, like, a Mad Libs booklet. That's what the Delaware County Daily Times is. And we just wanted to create a fake podcast revolving around the kind of stuff that we would see in the Delaware County Daily Times. And, I, you know, I, I think we do a pretty good job at it. You do. Uh, when, the, the, the fir- when you did it for the sideshow, which is a show I do, uh, I, I produced, was, that was the first time that was done, right? Yeah, um, before that, we had never done anything like that. Like, Tim and I, like, we just, you know, like to really just trash it up and just, like, to say things that people that, that are from our respective areas would say. Like, for example, like, everybody from either Northeast Philly or Delco has got a DUI. <laughs> Some of us are fortunate enough to have relatives that have boat DUIs. <laughs> All of us have uncles that are cops, so we know the law. Play darts. Yeah, we're in dart leagues. <laughs> you know, we've curb stopped somebody. <laughs> It's true. Uh, I wish we could show that video. Uh, I didn't think of it. The, the video you just did with, uh, uh, what was the, the name of the lawyer? Oh, uh, Billy Doherty. Billy Doherty. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, he wasn't an actual lawyer. What was the, what was the whole thing He was a that? sucker punch attorney. <laughs> uh, if you go to um, Helium Comedy's uh, YouTube channel, I did a video um, where I played a character named Billy Doherty, sucker punch attorney. And basically, um, I just represent white trash that have been sucker punched. I didn't think of it, but is there any way we can bring that up? All right, you just let me know. It's pretty great. Oh, I'm wearing a tank top with a suit jacket over it, so it's pretty I want great. people to take me seriously. 
Yeah, uh, just let me know. Uh, but as far as the not for nothing goes, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, the, I don't want to. I don't want to pimp you to do this, but I kind of want to hear it at the same time. Uh, the theme song for. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> the, th- the theme song is Delaware County Times is fucking pretty decent. <laughs> and that's our podcast theme song. I love it. All right, they're going to work on that. Uh, while they're doing that, why don't we talk about uh, the author? We've talked about the comic. Let's talk about the author, uh, Mike Rainey. It's my radio voice. Uh, Hang on, let me put on my turtleneck. <laughs> Terrible advice. Uh, how and why uh, did you start doing this? I get really jealous of other comedians that actually accomplish things. So, um, and like I mentioned earlier, like I really don't do a lot at work. And... It was it was like early December. I decided like oh it'd be kind of funny like if I if I gave terrible advice because I was, you know I've read a lot of awful self help books, and um, this one guy I remember from the book The Secret he had organized like this weekend retreat where people can go and sit in this sweat lodge, and something went wrong and I don't think they were able to get out and a couple people died in this sweat lodge, a couple other people had heat stroke, and I just remember thinking like wow if this guy can make money giving like terrible advice like that like why can't I. So I decided to just um, sequester myself at work, and for about a month and a half, I just did nothing but write at work. And you know, the result is this book, Terrible Advice, where it's kind of it's kind of like a self help book that offers no help whatsoever. And if uh, anybody anybody's interested in a copy, I sell them for ten dollars, but um, I'll make a deal with it. Like if if you take it and if you enjoy it, just send me ten bucks somehow. If not, tell me to go fuck myself. <laughs> Seriously, if you want it, just that's how it works. Cool. I'm glad we got to watch that video. It's pretty funny. I sent that to a bunch of people. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, and that's done through Helium? Yeah. Uh, ba- the guy that directed it is um, a guy named John McKeever. He's yeah. as funny as they come. He also did another video recently called Samesies. Oh, yeah. Um, Over a million Recently got a million now. views, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, he puts all this together, and he's the brains behind the operation, so he knows what he's doing. Awesome. Uh, the brains behind this operation, terrible advice, is you. Terrible transition. Uh, some of this money goes to charity too, right? Yeah, um, the charity alternates from time to time, but uh, throughout the summer I'm doing. Sometimes it's you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. This throughout the summer, ten percent of all the proceeds that I sell from the from total sales go to Autism Speaks. Um, I just like to you know do something nice every now and again to kind of compensate for all the terrible things I've done. Yeah. Uh, wait, I said that as if like yeah, you do a lot of terrible things. <laughs> And it's nice of you to, uh, to reconcile that. Uh, but going back a little bit to the, the, the Twitter, you use that do – you, do you use that as a tool to write? Uh, yeah. Um, do you, like, test it out, see if it gets, like, a bunch of retweets or favorites or anything? Not normally. Although, I mean, like, I, I wait for retweets as though, like, I'm waiting on a, uh, like a direct deposit to come through. Like, I literally just – I just sit there and, like, I avoid my kids, like, just waiting for retweets, like – if I ever write a poem to my kids as, like, me feeling bad about not spending time with them, the title of the poem is going to be Waiting for a Retweet. And, uh, but, you know, I, I do write a lot of jokes on Twitter. I don't use a lot of them in my act. I just feel like it's a way to kind of get the, you know, the wheels in motion and get the creative juices flowing. Okay. Uh, I just saw, I think it was Jay Moore. He was, like, in this thing with uh, uh, some, yeah. some girl about something. Um, but have like as far as bringing that to the real life, uh, as far as heckling goes, uh, have you ever been heckled in in a set? 
Yeah. Um, how do you deal with it? It hasn't happened like very often. Um, I think the best way to do it is just to address it and move on. And I think if you get into a uh, kind of give and take with the heckler, then it kind of plays into what they're trying to accomplish in the first place. And there's never a situation where people have left a comedy show saying, wow, that heckler was really funny. <laughs> yeah. So I think the quicker you could just nip it in the bud and move on to your act, the better. I had a situation one time when uh, – I sound like a cop. Uh, I had a situation one time. I had a show in Fishtown. It was at a pizzeria. And I should have known how the show was going to go because the owner of the place came in. And he's like, yeah, I want to talk to these guys before we start the show. And he walks in with a, with a roll of toilet paper. He's like, here, in case your acts are shitty. Like, nice. Okay, yeah. Well, we're doing a show at a pizzeria. And I just remember this lady was just sitting up front. It wasn't even, like, really heckling me. She was just, like, thinking out loud. She just kept saying – this fucking guy's just not funny. And she just kept saying that over and over. So it got to the point where I think we were both on the verge of tears, just like just trying to get our respective points across. And she had walked out, and she came back in, and we started arguing again. And I just felt terrible. I just wanted it to end, and it just just some nights like in comedy, like I just feel like you don't get anything accomplished, and that was one of them. But All right. I guess that's uh, what you get. Now, this could be part of this, the same... Same line of questioning. Now I sound like a cop or a lawyer. Um, but you got that right over the code red. <laughs> the what? What about really bad shows? Have you ever just had a really bad set? Something uh, yeah. you knew was bad, uh, or the circumstances, or the the venue just made it bad. Yeah, I feel like without a doubt, the worst show I ever did. Well, the worst reception I think that you can get is dead silence. I think if people are either either jeering. Or just giving you groans, like at least you're getting something. There was one show I did, and again, I should have known because it was in the basement of a diner. <laughs> and it was actually kind of nice for a basement of a diner because they also rented it out as like a banquet hall. And I was performing for this um, this piano playing um, puppeteer, which is another fucking red flag. <laughs> and he had all his props on stage. And as I was performing, I just wasn't getting anything. People were just, just literally just staring at me. And it was so uncomfortable. And there were probably like 50 people there. And then at one point, I, just, I was so embarrassed. And I was just looking through his props, like rather than tell jokes. And I found this Muhammad Ali mask behind me. And I just put it on and just did the rest of my set with the mask on. I would think just even, the, even that I was trying to do something that drastic to get a laugh would have gotten a laugh. But there was nothing. That was by far the worst. Okay. I just had a, a thought, uh, and it's probably a dumb one. Uh, you said the first time you did stand-up was 11 years ago? Yeah. What, what, first of all, what year was that? That's the first dumb thing. 2002 or one? I don't know. I yeah, forget around there, 2002-ish. Um, but now, nowadays, audience will just take out their phones yeah. and just start looking, and hopefully the sound is off. Uh, sometimes not, but what would people be doing back then? Was it was, like I, w- I wonder if like cell phones maybe cut down on the number of people that audibly say this sucks. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. Uh, there's questions in there somewhere. Um, maybe you can find one. What do you mean? Like as far as like, like what, what did people do? Like if they're not enjoying a show back then, did they just get up and leave? No, like I she's think- doing. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Enjoy your night. No, I, I think audiences, for the most part, haven't changed. I mean, terrible people are going to be terrible people. And most audiences are cool, though. Most people have enough social skills to realize, like, all right, I, I paid my money. I'm going to sit here till the show's finished. 
And if the, these guys suck, they suck. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I'm trying to think of like some really bad instances. Oh, I had one, like this place, that it's, it's since been leveled. It was, uh, it was by Hahnemann Hospital. It was called the Second Floor Rare, Warehouse. And it was run by this, um, this uh, Greek guy named Telly who, was, who sold the worst Coke in the world. He was, a, he was an embarrassment to Coke dealers. Like, nothing's worse than, like, getting bad, bad drugs. But his drugs were just the fucking worst. It was like drywall shavings. <laughs> oh, God. Come on, Telly. Seriously, man. I'd hate to try your gyros. <laughs> but um, I just remember, like, after, after the comedy show, the comedy show was, like, 8 to 9.30 every Saturday night. And afterward, it was, like, this hip-hop dance party. And one time where I was just, like, totally overwhelmed by the crowd response was there were these three really big black chicks in the back of the room waiting for the dance party to start and they just kept like loudly saying how I wasn't funny and I just you can't win in a situation where you're going up against three big black chicks so I just p- totally pushed out and just plowed through my set and I just remember like you know how when you're so embarrassed you could feel like your neck getting hot I just felt like my neck and my ears are just on fire while yeah. these chicks just roasted me from the back of the room on top of that my mom was there actually no, she was not there that night. It was another night where people hated me. <laughs> yeah, that didn't go as bad, though. Did your mom do anything? No. Oh. Yeah. I, I think she was just worried my dad was going to come up and dry hump her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dad. Uh, all right, so you've been doing this 11 years-ish, right? Yeah. Uh, what have you – I mean, I guess some of what you learned is probably in the book. Uh, maybe. I'll read it and let you know. Uh, but what, what have you learned that you wish you would have known when you started out, or is there anything? That's kind of fun you brought that up, because right now at Helium, they're having their Philly's Funniest competition, and there's a ton of comics to get involved each year. It's just a lot. It's just something fun to do, and people take it way too seriously, because I mean, the grand prize is you win a thousand bucks, and you get to perform at Helium if you don't already, which is, which is cool, but I mean, people just take it way too seriously. Anybody who doesn't advance... I just feel like it's always like they'll go on Facebook immediately afterward and say I was fixed, it was rigged, and it's Fixes just like. Yeah. And I had commented like on a guy who, it was like a thread of of like four guys saying how you know they brought all these people and it was total bullshit. They didn't advance. And like my advice was that like, I don't like to give advice just because I feel like it's obnoxious. But I was them at one point because <laughs> I feel like for the first nine years of my comedy career, I was just an asshole who was just constantly cursing other people for the opportunities I didn't get and just just a negative asshole. And I feel like I really didn't start to make progress until about two years ago when I started to focus on actually getting better and, you know, the fact that I was the root of all the problems I was having, you know, and at that point I feel like that was the turning point where I actually started to get better as a comedian. There's a big difference. Yeah. One of the biggest differences I think that um, it was hard for me to realize is huge difference between being funny and being a good comedian and I feel like most people when they start off you're, you're just funny and that's why you go into this to begin with but until you actually realize or actually become a good comedian people aren't going to want to pay to see you you know it yeah. took me a really long time to realize that but I feel like I'm finally starting to make some progress now yeah uh, is there anything that's off limits to you as a comic um I wouldn't be a real dick like, for instance, if I saw somebody with, like, third-degree burns in the front row, I wouldn't launch into my third-degree burn set. <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, just a matter of, you know, 
a humanity issue. But yeah. I feel like any topic can be joked about as long as it's done cleverly. Um, one of the things that really annoys me, and ironically enough, I used to do the same shit too, but it was just, just comics that are offensive for the sake of being offensive. Like, for example, like right now, like it's big among bros of comments, the comics that just do rape jokes. Well, there's no substance to what you're talking about. So you're just making yourself look ridiculous. Yeah. You know, although I feel like if you can do it cleverly, which is a really fine line to walk, then I think people can kind of see where you're going and give you the benefit of the doubt. But I don't know. I think it's just a lazy way for comics to go about things. And it, it's been prevalent ever since I started. And even now, if you go to open mic, you'll see guys talking about, yeah, and the punchline of the joke is, so I got a girl you know, trapped in my car. It's like, okay, what else? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, through the through the eleven years, um, all the different open mics and everything. Is there a slideshow that's about to happen now? Yeah, this is your life. Uh, but I was going to say, through the eleven years that you've been doing this, uh, the different things that you've learned. Um, what advice would you have to someone starting out? Don't be a dick. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got a couple yeah. couple fans yeah. of no dick. I kind of feel I feel like Ebenezer Scrooge. Like all these things are coming full circle for me at this point. But don't be a dick. Realize that you that you know nothing. Um, one of the hardest aspects of, of I think being a comedian is you don't realize at first what you really don't know. Like I just went in thinking I was funny and I thought that was good enough. And you know where you got to learn. You got to study from people who are actually good at it. And you know even though they offer comedy classes, I don't think like they're beneficial. I think the only real knowledge comes from your own failures and seeing failures and successes of other comics that uh, that you that you admire, um, and I would say aside from that, no, I think I think comedy is really just trial and error. And one of the things I really love about it is that you know in stand up, you're there by yourself. You're going to either eat shit by yourself or you're going to take all the credit by yourself. Yeah. And that's one of the things I had trouble with as far as like doing the Not for Nothing podcast with Tim. I fucking I was so jealous when he got laughs and I didn't. It could like even though like yeah. I feel like we both get laughs throughout the course of a yeah. performance, but if he got a laugh on something that I felt was like bigger than the last laugh I got, I was such a jealous bitch. Yeah. And it's still so hard for me to digest. That's why like I, I just prefer stand up because I just need attention that bad. I'm yeah. really that pathetic. Yeah, I could yeah, I mean that's that's uh, for me that's the difference between uh, stand up and improv. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're doing the Not for Nothing podcast, there's some stuff that's planned out, but there's also some just kind of riffing going on between the two of you. Some, yeah. of, the, some of the improv element of things. Uh, and when you're, imp- I'm the education director for the Philly Improv Theater, by the way. Uh, when you're when you're doing those things, you're building something together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he may say something, or you may say something that uh, you know gets set something off in his head mm-hmm. that allows for that joke to happen. Yeah. But that joke wouldn't have happened. If you didn't say what you said, yeah. Uh, so I'm not trying to shine a light on on, on anything, but uh, you're a part of that laugh. I guess as as weird as that might sound, it wouldn't have happened had you not done it. I feel so like a sick as... kid <laughs> was just given a baseball by Roger Maris. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mike. You were a part of that laugh, kid. That laugh would not have happened, could not have happened without you and your hearts. Uh, where can people see you? Do things. That depends upon what you want to see me do. That's true. I'll be at the Sansom Cinema later this evening. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
on, uh, let's see, next, no, it's not next Saturday, it's um, the 17th of August, I put together a fundraiser um, for the brother of a friend who's, um, he's actually only got a couple months left to live, and uh, times are really tight financially for him, he's got stage four cancer, um, so we're throwing a benefit for him at a place called Molly McGuire's in Lansdale, um, it's going to be myself, Tim Shout Butterly. Out Molly McGuire's. Yeah. We couldn't get P.J. McShenanigan hands. They were booked that P. night. P.J. McShenanigan hands. So it'll be myself, Tim Butterly, um, Eric Todd, and uh, Jay West. And, um, yeah, it should be good, man. It's just I, li- I like doing fundraisers because, you know, a lot of times, like, I feel like built up enough of a reputation now with myself and another comic named Joe Mayo doing these fundraisers where people we get a lot of requests for people that really need the help. And it's cool to get requests like this. Like, it's just fucked up that a guy's only got two months to live, but it's cool knowing that, like, we can contribute to, like, you know, he wants to go on vacation, and, you know, his goal is to raise a couple grand just to fucking go on vacation with his fiance, you know. And it's, you know, really important to me that, you know, the ball's kind of in our court now to make that happen, and we're going to make it happen. And you've done a few of these, uh, a few different fundraisers that I know of. yeah. Um, I really enjoy doing it. The hardest part is finding venues to fucking donate space. Yeah. Um, everything else seems like it comes easily. You know, pe- more times than not, people are really generous. Like, one of my favorite fundraisers we, we did was for um, a, a guy that was just like a, a fan of Philly comedy. This guy named Dustin Walls. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer, and by the time he was diagnosed, it was, it was really progressed to a point where there wasn't much they could do for him. And it was a similar deal to the one that I just mentioned in that he only had a few months to live. And his family, they had uh, his brother had surprised him with tickets to Disney World. And um, we did a couple benefits. And through those benefits, we were able to raise, like, close to three grand so that they would have spending money to go to Disney. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, after the trip, it, he was gone, like, six weeks later. Mm. Yeah, it's fucked. But, I mean, considering the circumstances, you know, he got to have, you know, those memories. You know? Yeah. Uh, but that's uh, all I have. Is there any other anything else you want to mention about the book? About um, uh, where else? Yeah. You're if, be seen? If, if you want to copy the book, like I said, you don't have to give me money now. Just if you enjoy it, pay me later. That's fine. Whatever. Uh, and also, as far as the fundraisers, if you know anybody that's going through a difficult time, through you know financial hardship or more serious health wise. You know, just let me know um, either here tonight or at MikeRainey82 on Twitter, and I'll do what I can. All right, and I'll have that info up on my site as well. Uh, thank you very much, Michael F. and Rainey. Thank you, guys. For getting close. Thank you. All right.